Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. In the interview today, I have Sharon Lecter returning, and she's the author of Thinking Grow Rich for Women. And this is based on the Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich. And I've had people from the Napoleon Hill Foundation come on my show many times throughout the years. And I'm excited to have Sharon come back because we're going to talk about succeeding in spite of obstacles. And we're going to talk about overcoming obstacles, women designing themselves, defining themselves through the eyes of other people, the power of the subconscious mind, women and women's jealousy towards other women's success, you know, improving self-confidence and there's, it's going to be great. So I look forward to circling back and thanks for listening. Sharon Lecter is back. She is the author of Thinking Grow Rich for Women. And today we're going to be talking about succeeding in spite of obstacles. Hello, Sharon. Welcome back. Hello. Hello, Corinne. I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you so much. So I want to talk about this, uh, the success in spite of obstacles. Cause sometimes, I don't know if you found this, but sometimes people have this belief that success should be just this nice flowing path with no obstacles, but that's not true. Is it? Well, the actual path is usually one step forward, two back, three forward, one back. Um, it, you know, success is a process. And what happens is we have obstacles that give us opportunities. You know, we want to turn those obstacles into opportunities for learning and for growth and, what happens is you learn a lesson and certainly you can make sure that you don't make the same mistake again. And it's all part of the process. And as we grow in our, um, in our lives towards success, whether we are a business owner or an employee, there are going to be those things that pop up in our way that we have to deal with. And so what were you able to find with either your story or with the story of the women in your book about how they were able to overcome these obstacles? Well, women are naturally great problem solvers, um, so we tend to we want to save you know save the world and take care of our families, and so we're out there you know looking at obstacles and batting them down to make sure our kids don't have issues. Um, but many times we don't look at our own pathway to make sure there are not obstacles there. So I think with that, throughout the book, we have over 300 women in Think and Grow Rich, and um, certainly in my life, I've had a lot of obstacles and. Um, you know, it's something that now when I talk to people, it's not something that I, you know, love to share. But I used to think I had a lot of obstacles in business, and I learned a lot. But a few couple of years ago, I lost my son, and that makes me realize that you know, there's there aren't very many true obstacles in life that you can't get over. So it's a matter of understanding when something comes up, you go, okay, this is an opportunity for me to learn something new. And deal with this because in dealing, you know, Napoleon Hill himself said, out of every adversity, every defeat comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. Sometimes it takes us a while to figure out what that benefit is. But as we continue to move forward and learn those lessons, not only can we speed our way to success and not make those same mistakes again, but we can also help mentor and help others not have our mistakes 
we can give them the insight and the foresight not to make the same mistakes we did. Do you find it difficult for some women um, where they define themselves by their obstacles? Oh, absolutely. Women, notoriously, we, we define ourselves through the eyes of other people. And we have this huge fear of criticism. And women, you know, as opposed to men, women tend to carry their mistakes, their guilt, their worry on like a big old sack of potatoes over their shoulder. And they allow their mistakes and their concerns to define them. And that's something that we really have to change. You know, the, my definition of the word worry is to pray for what you do not want. Now, let me repeat that. To worry is to pray for what you do not want. And um, I'm a champion worrier, so I found that definition about seven years ago, and it allowed me to stop myself. I still get into my worry storms, I call them. But now I stop myself, and I repeat that message to myself, and it allows me to reframe my thought pattern, to stop thinking about what I don't want to have happen, and start focusing on what I do want to have happen. And so women tend to spend a lot of precious time today worrying or feeling shameful or feeling regret about something that happened yesterday. And we need to stop that. We need to say, okay, yes, that happened yesterday. And because of that, and I don't, you know, I didn't like it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm not going to do it today. And I'm going to make a different choice for today and move forward. That takes practice, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And I mean, believe me, I still get myself into my worry storms and my, you know, you go back and forth. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if, and that's, it's called being human. But as you start practicing this skill, and sometimes it's just a matter of stopping yourself and repeating my definition to yourself, it allows you to give that space of acknowledgement to what you focus on becomes reality. So changing your focus from something that's negative to what the positive outcome could be is very important. And I, you know, I love that because we can actually control that, right? We can make that decision to say, where do I want to focus my mindset, my energy on? And if I don't want to be in this state, where do I choose? And that's really empowering, isn't it? Oh, it's so, so empowering. And in today's society, it's so very important We've got this, you know, entitlement and lay blame and justify mentality that drives me nuts. And we have a society of people who are playing victim, and I want them to, t- you know, turn that dime and start taking responsibility and have that opportunity to direct their own life and become the victors instead of victims. Um, and it's so important for our children as well to get them to understand that we, each and every one of us are where we are today because of the choices we made along the way. Mm-hmm. And if we're not happy with where we are today, we need to make different choices. We can't continue fretting over a choice we made last week because it's no it, it doesn't accomplish anything. Take stock of where you are today, determine where you want to be next year, and lay the course and make choices to get there. I love that. Take stock of where you are today, determine where you want to be next year, and lay the course. Exactly. So when simple. I was growing up, my, when I was growing up, my dad used to say, a map doesn't do you any good if you don't know where you are and where you want to go. And it applies in so many cases in our lives. So many of us don't even know where we are. When I talk to women particularly about their finances, many of them have no clue where they are financially. 
And, you know, how do you expect to take responsibility and plan for the future if you don't know where you are today? Do you think that they don't know where they are financially because of um, some of the, like I call it, dirty, dirty thoughts about money and um, or dirty belief systems about money where or negative belief systems, I guess, of I shouldn't be thinking about money or money. Thinking about money can be really greedy. And so they try to put their head in the sand and not create an awareness. Right. I'll take you back to a ch- your childhood. What are the comments you heard about money by your parents and your the adults around you? Um, money doesn't grow on trees. We're, we have to, you know, we can't afford it. We're penny pinching. What do you, do you think we are? The Rockefellers. All of those comments have one thing in common. They're all negative. Mm-hmm. And so as children, we get these negative emotional imprints about money. And so we end up having this mindset of scarcity instead of having a, the mindset of a world of abundance. And so then we don't understand why when we get older, we're, we have all this fear around money. Well, it's a natural state of things when we are continually reminded of the negative aspects of money. And so it's really important to analyze that and recognize it. And once you recognize it, you can start reframing your thought process. So instead of saying, I can't afford something, say, hmm, if I want that, how could I afford it? Just by changing yourself from a statement that's negative that closes your mind, ask yourself a question that ignites that entrepreneurial spirit that makes you want to say, okay, if I really want that, how can I achieve it? And all of a sudden, the juices start flowing and the creativity goes. It's amazing the difference between a statement and a question. Ooh, say more. Well, ask yourself, you know, as a parent, you know, we can we can tell our children, no, 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 or, you know, don't do this, do this. And it's kind of like we're just like giving them instructions that we want them to follow. But if we can start in, in raising our children, start ask questions that gets that, you know, it, it actually improves their self-esteem because they are participating. They're not just being dictated to, and they have an opportunity to share their brilliance. And it's amazing some of the ideas kids come up with. But as you know, we were brought up in a society where you're told what to do until you're 18 and you're out on the street and all of a sudden you're supposed to be able to make all your own decisions. And we know how that works out for a lot of kids, not very well. So we need to start allowing children to express themselves and participate and start their that problem solving and critical reasoning, critical thinking skills. And um, those critical thinking skills are not going to be employed if they're constantly just told what to do. We need to get them into part of the process of thinking about options, alternatives. And when you have an obstacle in front of you, a child has an obstacle, well, what are the choices you can make? We do a lot of work with teenagers and my game, Thrive Time for Teens, is that. It's a life and money reality game and it's got a lot of different uh, cards in it that are choices. And doesn't tell a child what they should do. But when they make a choice about something, it's either a positive choice and it moves them towards success or a negative one that takes them towards failure. And so it's through that experience in life is the best way we all learn. So it's very important that each and every one of us realize that if we allow ourselves to be negative in thinking, then we're doing the same thing internally. We're being negative and closed-minded. So if we want something, we need to allow ourselves to be creative by asking ourselves the question, if I really want that, hmm, 
how can I get to it? What, what should I do? What can I do to raise the money or to earn the money to do what I really want to do? Well, isn't the, uh, the quality of the question also as important? Oh, certainly, certainly. You want, when I talk about parenting, it's very important to become the, a mentor versus an enabler. You know, an enabler might say, well, shouldn't that, that stick A go over here and stick B? It's like telling them, you know, it's, it's kind of like telling them what to do in the form of a question versus, you know, well, let's look at the instructions. What, you know, what do the instructions tell you? And so that they have the opportunity to make that decision on their own. So the quality of the question is always, always important. You know, we've, when you're, when you're taught sales techniques, of course, they talk about the closed question or the open question. You know, when you want to get to know somebody, you want to ask an open question. You don't want to ask a question where they just say yes or no instead of saying, you know, do you like living here? Yes or no. You say, well, you know, what is it about the state that you like? And then they have to actually say something. So it allows you to stimulate dialogue to get to know people. So it's a very, you know, the power of the question is the most, for me, it's the most important and the most powerful communication tool. And I think that's so important, the power of the question. That is really great. Um with going back to this, I love when I interviewed you before you had said this and I'd read it in your book, the worry. Worry is to pray for what you do not want. And I've really practiced not worrying. And, and, but I appreciate the fact that you said, look, I still have worry storms. And for me, that just reminds us it's always a practice. It's not, uh, just this magical switch and we're now like Cinderella and we don't have this come up because then that can get us into, you know, a bigger shame storm, but realizing that, okay, even though we understand this intellectually, at times we may slip into behaviors that don't serve us. And then we just need to circle back and go, wait a second, is this what I want to do? Isn't that right? It gives you the warning sign very quickly. You recognize what you're doing and then you have the opportunity to choose to get out of it. You know, sometimes we all, we all have our own pity parties at times Mm -hmm. where, you know, we know we shouldn't be doing it, but we just, you know, we're enjoying feeling sorry for ourselves. But, but I think, you know, when you practice and you practice and you practice, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself facing the situation less often to begin with. And when you do, the ability to flip that switch becomes much better and much easier. And you can start evaluating. You know, a lot of times I'll ask, um, particularly women, think back about a time when you were just, you couldn't sleep, you were so worried about something. Did it actually happen? You know, nine times out of ten, <laughs> the answer is no. So we rack up all this nervousness and we lose sleep and we make ourselves physically ill over something that didn't ever happen. And so we were worried about what if this happens, what if that happens, and so we're, you know, we are actually hurting ourselves um, by al- imagining the worst possible scenario. So it's so important. You know, a lot of times I used to talk, I would have a business meeting coming up that was going to be a difficult one. And so I'd sit there for days playing, well, if he says this, I'll say this. If he says this, I'll say this. Well, what if he says this? Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, and then you have the meeting, and it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But you spend all this time preparing, quote, unquote, but uh, making yourself sick over it when you actually have that discussion, it's not no no big deal. 
And I know a lot of women that have that thing, that happen to them all the time. You know, as you're talking about this, the question that I have is that, because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is the mindset, right? The thoughts that you think, what, why are we not being better caretakers of our mind? And I don't think I was really taught that. I mean, at one point I was taught that as an athlete and then definitely as an adult, I've really been on a lifelong quest to learn this and learning how to manage my mind. But do some people, are they just born this way where they really understand that? Oh, good question. Um, I think rather, rather than talking about whether you're born with it or not, let's talk about the power of the subconscious. Okay. Um, you know, years ago, about five or six years ago, I, I was in a habit of the, having the news run in the background all day long. And I would get agitated and irritated by the end of the day. And I didn't know what it was coming from. And one day I said, you know, I'm going to turn this off. And it made a big difference in my life. And even though I wasn't consciously listening to the news, it was running in the background. All that negative imprint was going into my subconscious. Your subconscious mind is exceptionally powerful. And, you know, we, we've heard things about when you go to bed at night, talk, think about things you're grateful for, think about what problem you want to solve. And that it makes a lot of sense because while you're sleeping, your subconscious mind is not sleeping. And so if you, leave, you know, if you go to bed worried and nervous about something, your subconscious is going to be fixated on that while you're sleeping. And so better to frame up what you want in life um, before you go to sleep so you have a positive outcome. And we talk about, you know, if you think about it, walking into a room with, I'll show my age, but with Motown playing where you <laughs> want to start dancing, you immediately feel your, your spirits lift and you want to join the dance. Or walking into a room where somebody's sick or, you know, and everybody's crying in the room, you feel your spirits go down. And so the same thing happens to your subconscious mind. So what is it that you're around all day? Who are you spending your time with? Who are you spending time with? What are you doing? And, you know, how are you um, able to make sure that the influences around you are positive? Yeah, that subconscious mind is. And so it's making deliberate choices. Who are you surrounding yourself with? What kind of environment are you in? Exactly. And change your environment. You know, maybe you can't change your family, but you can certainly limit if there's a member of your family that's negative. Um, limit the amount of time you're with them and make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who support you and want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. How are women about wanting other people to succeed? That's a great question um, with a multi, multiple string answer. That's fine. Um, when, I started, when I started my career in the 70s, women, um, you know, there weren't very many of us in professional ranks, and women typically were not very good to other women. They kind of felt like once they succeeded, everybody else needed to work as hard as they did, or if they were seen helping other women, that they would be looked at um, as weak. But as we, you know, as you go forward today, there's many organizations. I'm on the national board for Women Presidents Organization, and our whole group, the focus is peer groups of women business owners who are mid-tier, you know, mid-level businesses, anywhere from you know 10 to 100 million in sales, and they are there to support each other. 
and that's their whole goal. They get together every month as a peer advisory service. And women, there's many more organizations out there for women there to help and support other women in the workplace. Having said that, there are still some women out there that are not terribly supportive of, of helping other women, but they're fewer than before. And that the whole purpose of writing Thinking Grow Rich for Women was to change our dialogue from not from what's not right. You know, instead of focusing on the negative, focusing on what still needs to happen, let's change our focus to celebrating the progress that has been made, celebrating the accomplishments that women have had. And, you'll, and I think we'll actually see more achievement more quickly when we approach it from that positive attitude as opposed to complaining and criticizing the things that still need to change. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you think that when women um, aren't supportive of other women, it's, this, it's from a scarcity place? I think it's from scarcity. I think it's from fear of criticism. I think it's from jealousy. Um, you know, all of those things combined. Um, the, a woman who is not is afraid or a place of, of scarcity is really um, most likely has an issue of a lack of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the biggest issues I found in writing the book as I was doing my research is one that's a common issue. Women have um, a tremendous lack of self-confidence. Men typically have no problem saying, I'm an expert in this, I'm an expert in that. Women will say, well, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, say you're an expert, let's practice. Um, and so it's really important for women to realize, for instance, I'm a much better promoter for you than I would be for myself. I'm a great promoter for the women I believe in, but I don't stand up and shout for myself. And so in the book, if that's an issue, I tell, I tell women, you know, recognize it, acknowledge it, and surround yourself with people who do promote you and love you and want you to succeed. And in that process, your self-esteem will grow and your self-confidence will grow. But I think that, that the, the reactionary piece that you're talking about, women in positions of power who are not good, um, they have that scarcity mentality, even though they're in positions of power, they still have this underlying um, self-confidence issue. Mm-hmm. And so what are ways that women can improve their self-confidence? Well, first is, is the power of your words, power of your thoughts. And again, um, realize that you have a lot of power and that if you put yourself first, you know, for many years, I, well, I still do this. I do an exercise in groups and I go, you know, describe yourself in one word, um, descriptors, you know, and I have them write five, five to ten descriptions of themselves. And then I can have a room of 20 women or 500 women. It, it's always the same. And then I ask, so put your pens down. How many of you put your own name on the piece of paper? And fewer than two out of 100 will have written their own name down. Because as women, we define ourselves through the roles we play. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an author, I'm an entrepreneur. So we're constantly judging ourselves through the roles we play. And if we can reframe and start saying, first of all, I'm Sharon. And if I'm a better Sharon, then I will be a better wife, mother, grandmother, entrepreneur. And that's a huge issue with a lot of women. We, we, and I, I feel this very personally because it's an issue for me. We put ourselves last. Mm-hmm. 
We want to take care of everybody else. We want to take care of the business. You know, so we don't necessarily, you know, at the end of the day, it's time for bed and you're exhausted and you haven't exercised. You know, you haven't done other things that you need to do for yourself. And so you just, oh, well, there's tomorrow. And again, we've heard this phrase, tomorrow never comes. So the issue is for women is we need to focus on being healthy and strong in our own right as women. And then as strong women, then we fill those roles in a much more effective and better way. I love that. I want to segue over to seizing opportunities and what gets in the way for women to seize opportunities? Is it the self-confidence, the lack of self-confidence? I think it's self-confidence. It's also um, maybe a lack of vision, a lack of the lack of an ability to recognize those opportunities, which again, I think a portion of that comes from a lack of self-confidence. Um, part of what, what we talk about is that mastermind principle. You know, in school, we're trained and educated to do everything on our own. And when we start our business, um, you know, if we're in a position of owning our own business, we're looking at, you know, put your passion and your talent, and people think that that's what they need to get a business started. But in all walks of life, whether you're an employee or a business, to be truly successful in your field, you need to work together. And it's the team concept, that concept of mastermind, which, by the way, was also created by Napoleon Hill, talks about when two or three, two or more minds come together, it's exponential results. Because each person coming to the table is bringing their experience, bringing their education, bringing their failures, bringing their successes, so that they have the ability to truly make a difference by coming together and having exponential positive results. So this, the lack of self-confidence and then this, the idea that you might must go it alone, those are things that can get in the way of seizing our opportunities. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes over-planning. And in, in, in my book, Three Feet from Gold, um, I talked to Truett Cathy, who, who has since passed away, but he was the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A. And his, he was talking about, you know, stop over-planning. What happens sometimes is we, we do know where we are and we know where we want to go and we're so, we are so set on how we're going to get there that we fail to see opportunities along the way that would open up greater wealth and greater opportunities because we're so fixated on what we think is the right way to do that we're not open to other alternative paths. And so it's very important to train yourself to have the right people around you so that you are open to every opportunity as it comes your way. So a lot, I'll use the example of real estate. Um, you know, a lot of times when I teach people about investing in real estate, they will come back to the class, you know, a week into it, and, and there's a house down the street that's been on the market forever that they never even recognized or saw that it was there. And all of a sudden, it's a great deal, and they have an investment opportunity. Now, that investment opportunity has been sitting next to them for several years. Mm -hmm. But it was just by opening their mind to that education of what's possible with real estate investing that they were then able to recognize that opportunity. So a lot of recognizing opportunity comes from masterminding and from getting educated in your field and where you want to go. 
So when you talk about over planning, the thing that came up is it's like you're so focused on the road, you're not lifting your head up and looking around to see what else there is, just even enjoying the view. And when you can have other people around that can open up that insight for you, right? Just because they may be having a conversation or sharing. I know this happens for me and whether it's in my mastermind or with people is that when I open my brain up, some of the problems that I may have, I can find the answers to. So I used to be very like, no, I have this problem. I have to fix it and I have to fix it now and do it myself. And now when I have a problem, I'm like, oh, I can percolate on it, bring it to somebody, talk about it. And the answers will come up that maybe somebody will give me insight in a different way that I had, than I had seen possible. Exactly. And what stops a lot of women from doing that is the fear of criticism. They're afraid to look stupid. They're afraid to ask the question. They're afraid to ask for help. And it's so very important for each of us to understand that, you know, we all have different experiences and what you feel, you might need help on one thing, but you're going to be the expert in something else. And so, you know, think about the speed to success um, it is determined by opportunities along the way and willingness to overcome obstacles. So, so that you, when you recognize an obstacle, ask for help right away. Willingness to overcome obstacles. So would that also include the ability to let failure happen? Well, I call failure learning opportunities. So, um, you know, a lot of people define themselves as failures. And I go, you know, failure is not an adjective for a person. Failure is an event, an occurrence. You may have failed at something. You may have, um, you know, failed at a business and had to close it. That doesn't define you. That was an event. That was an occasion, something that happened to you. Hopefully you learned from it so you won't repeat it in the future. Um, I talk particularly to women when we talk about failures and defining themselves, I say, you know, imagine that you you are the CEO of your own life. You're sitting in the driver's seat. You've got your hands on the steering wheel, your foot on the accelerator, and you've got a huge windshield. And that's huge because you can go in any direction you choose. But the rearview mirror is very small, and it's on purpose. That rearview mirror is very small so that you can only remember what happened in the past for the lessons that you learned. Not to let the past define you, not to let the past slow you down, but learn the lesson and then refocus on the windshield, the accelerator, and the steering wheel, and make choices to get you to where you want to get and to the success that you so richly deserve. I love that. You have a lot of car metaphors. (laughs) <laughs> There's the other one about the what seat do you sit in, in the passenger seat, or you move, move fear over into the passenger seat instead of the driver's seat? Yep. <laughs> um, so the women that seize the opportunities, what do they do? What's their mindset like? Well, I think um, everyone listening to this call has seized an opportunity sometime in their life. And so think back about having done that and the feeling of accomplishment and the courage. And the word, the definition of the word courage is not the absence of fear. The definition for courage is to act in spite of the fear. We've all heard the comment, um, a leap of faith. And so I don't, I don't like that phrase because a leap of faith kind of means you're closing your eyes and you're jumping into the unknown. So instead of saying the leap of faith, say you're going to take a leap with faith, your eyes wide open, 
with faith and confidence that you're going to succeed. And that optimistic outlook on life is going to help you blast through those those barriers. And women that have the opportunity, once they've conquered something, it builds their self-esteem. And it's not just women, it's our children too. You know, we live in a society where we put our kids in, in bubbles and they, they, they never have to face adversity. Well, the problem is if they don't face adversity, they don't learn how. They don't learn how to recover. They don't learn how to pick them back up when they fall. And so um, it's very important that we get that resilience. You learn to ride a bike by getting a few skinned knees along the way. And that's what life is all about in every endeavor, endeavor we take. So many of these kids who have you know, never experienced adversity are now in college and having a very difficult time facing issues when they're, they don't have mom and dad around to take care of it. So it's very important that each and wherever we all face adversity, we all get through it, recognize that you did, feel the accomplishment, and feel your self-confidence grow in the process. Yes, the college students who get the B for the first time and don't know how to deal with that and make that define them and what's going to be possible in their lives and their future. That's a, that's a big struggle for a lot of college students these days. Exactly. And they get, you know, they're away from home. They haven't, they've not been taught any money skills. They get themselves in debt. I mean, all of this is a fact that these kids have not built the skills to understand the choices that they're making. And it's very important that we allow our kids to make choices and make mistakes and learn from them at a young age when those mistakes are small. So what allowed you to seize opportunities throughout your career? Good question. Um, the Let me start with a success e- equation that is in three feet from gold. When I talk about your personal success equation, I talk about it's your passion combined with your talent. So my passion has been for since 1992, financial education, financial literacy for families, for entrepreneurs, for children. Combined with my talent, I've been a CPA for close to 40 years, and I have the, lots of um, experience in publishing. And a lot of people do stop with their passion and talent. think they have to make it on their own. Well, the success equation then has a times A and that's the power of the association. And so almost every opportunity I've had in my life has come through the powers of association that I have, the networking, um, the advisors that I have, the team members that I have. And then the next one is times A, taking the right action. You know, how many times have we known we should do something and we just don't do it? So we, we have to take action. We have to know what we need and then do what we need to do to achieve it. And then the last bit is plus F, as in faith. You have to have faith in yourself. You have to have faith in what you're doing. As a business owner, the most successful businesses either solve a problem or serve a need. We certainly have a lot of problems and needs today. And so we've got a a lot of opportunity to build businesses. But even if you are not a business owner as an employee, it's still the associations that you make in life will create your own personal success. If you're hanging around with bad guys, bad women, you're gonna, they're going to rub off on you. So what is the power of that association in your life? And I would venture to say, I'd have to sit down and go through it, but almost, I, if not every, close to every opportunity I've ever had has come to me through the power of association. 
I want to talk about this power of association. How were you able to build the networks of advisors that you had? What What do you think was, what did you do to create that? Um, well, there are multiple different ways. Um, I've always been very active in nonprofits. And so um, I built the talking book industry for children back in the late 80s because I met the inventor of the talking book. We were both working um, on an event for the American Cancer Society. And that's how we met. And we became, I started working with him and we built the talking children's books that the sound strips down the side. We built that globally. But I met him through working in a nonprofit so that, you know, when you volunteer your time and work for a charity, you get the opportunity to meet people from all walks of life. And certainly their donors that are there are people that could be potential um, employers, potential investors, partners. So it's a great way to meet people. And then I've always been involved in the Women Presence Organization for over 15 years where I meet other women that are um, in various fields of, of endeavor and we work together. We refer business back and forth to each other, refer business um, you know, all the time. And yet we're also there to support each other when we have a problem. So that power of association is, you know, where are you? You could have the power of association through your church, through your school, um, parents association, through um, your golf club, through a coffee club, a book club. You know, the issue is, again, understanding the power of that association of expanding your mind by expanding your network. We've probably, you've probably heard the phrase that your net worth is equal to your network. And it's really, you know, it, it really is true. There's a, a, we talk about, if you look at the five people you spend the most time with, you probably are very similar in income um, because you have so many similar beliefs. So if you want to accelerate yourself to the next level, start looking for people who are successful in what you want to do that are already there and start getting in a situation where you can hang out with them. So it starts expanding your mind to their vocabulary, what they think about, what they talk about, and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself elevating to that level. I'm thinking about this. Um, that power of association. And when you were talking about this, sometimes people say, oh, I'm just a mom or I'm just a teacher or I'm just a CPA. And what do you think about that when people use that language of the word just? Just the whole, that word should be um, eliminated. It's, it is a, it's like, but, you know, oh, I would love to do it, but, you know, it's one of those words that just, causes a shift to negativity um, and that I'm just a mom. You know, it's like, I am so excited. I'm so thrilled to be a mother, but it's, it is that fear of criticism, raising this ugly head, that fear of criticism of, you know, I'm, I'm just a mom means you're probably not going to respect me because I don't have a job or I'm not doing what you're doing. And therefore I'm lesser than you. And so it's all about self-confidence and self-esteem. You know, instead of saying, I'm just a mom, say, I am a passionate woman who is investing my life into raising my children. Much different outcome. Mm -hmm. Because isn't that important to clean that mindset up? 
as you're trying to create this network and building this network of of associates or advisors? Oh, of course. I mean, what, and also for your children, your kids hear you repeating over and over, I'm just a mom, I'm just a mom. All of a sudden, their opinion of you is going to be less than it should because of your suggestion. So it's very important that you understand the power of your words. So I think that's an important takeaway for the listeners of build that mastermind, build that network, build that group of people. And, but also how you show up. So if you show up as I'm just a versus like, oh, I, maybe I want to learn this or I have incredible drive or I may not know how to do this, but that's okay because I have the ability to learn. As somebody who's seeking out mentorship, what would you rather see when, if somebody was coming to you? Well, I think um, if you're looking for a mentor, it's a very interesting um, dichotomy because there are some successful people that are happy to be mentors and not charge anything. Others, you know, have a fee for becoming a mentor because that's part of their profession. And they've been, you know, and you have to, you have to think about that, uh, you know, the, the reciprocal value of what are you doing to show appreciation to your mentor but again, you also don't want to um, not recognize the the pricelessness of their time. And so when you're looking to have a mentor, you need to know um, as much about them as possible, making sure that they are truly the type of person that you want to emulate your life after. And you do your homework and understand what it is, what their likes and dislikes are, and then You know, you need to justify to yourself why you deserve to get their mentorship. Are you willing to put forth the work and the effort? Have you already put forth some energy to train yourself and understand what's possible so that you're coming to a mentor saying, you know, this is where I really want to go and I've been thinking about doing this and I've been thinking about doing that and I've got this connection, but I'd really like your guidance. A mentor is going to be much more receptive to that than somebody coming to them and saying, well, you know, I want to be who you are. Can you tell me how to do it? And it's like, uh, where do you start? So you <laughs> have to be respectful of the mentor. And I'm saying this from personal experience. Mm-hmm. I get requests all day long to be people's mentor. And it's like, you know, I don't even know them. I don't know what their background. I don't, you know, it's like, uh, I need, you know, for me to even consider something like this, I need to know somebody's dedicated. They have a certain level of accomplishment. A lot of people will come to my husband and I and they're, you know, they've got an idea for business. We're not going to accept them as a client because they can't afford us mm-hmm. and they're not at the position to be able to benefit. They need to get them their act together, figure out what they're going to do, set up their structure, and then come back and we can help them really put it. But if they just sit in there with an idea and no money, you know, I'm not going to take their money to talk to them about something that I know they can't afford to do. Mm-hmm. But I love that. What great boundaries that you have right there with that. And it's in line with your values. Well, you know, and there are a lot of people that will be happy to take people's money to tell them they can't afford it. But, you know, that's not our goal is to help people get to where they deserve to be if they're ready and capable and Mm -hmm. they're ready to put forth the effort that is needed to succeed. And um, a lot of people want to do it, but they don't they haven't done their homework. 
And so it's, you know, each individual, we are, again, the CEO of our own life. If you want something bad enough, do your homework. Be prepared. Understand as much as you possibly can before you start out there looking for help. So as we wrap up today, I have a question for you because this word success can be like one of those, like the dirty words that I talk about. There can be a lot of just negative mindset that gets triggered, especially for women. What does success mean to you? Well, success, I love that question. Um, Success means uh, to me how I feel about myself when I look in the mirror. It has nothing to do with money. And when I wrote Think and Grow Rich for Women, um, success is is a word that was talked about a lot in the original Think and Grow Rich book. And I think for women, the, the thought process of success is very different than men. I, so the subtitle of the book is Using Your Power to Create Success and Significance. Because I think success to women usually is more often um, couched in the term of impact or influence through significance as opposed to dollars and cents. Obviously, we all like money too. But I think when we can focus on success is understanding that you've made a positive impact on someone's life. Wow, that's a beautiful way to live, isn't it? It was, I, as grow, I was growing up, my father would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? And I still ask myself that every night. What a great check-in. As we close up, do you have any more take? Do you have a couple takeaways for the listeners? Maybe a point that we talked about earlier. Certainly. Absolutely. Um, you know, we talk, the, the biggest one for me that we didn't really talk about is work-life balance. So many women get into that worry, storm, and shame, and guilt because they feel like they're not balanced. And I would really like women to stop even thinking about the word balance. Oh, for me, the word you. balance belongs in a yoga studio. <laughs> um, each and every one of us, we have every component of our life. We have our physical, our mental, our spiritual, our family, our business, and we all have, we all, we are comprised of all of those com- components together. So instead of thinking of work-life balance, think about one big life. And so if you get up in the morning and yesterday you didn't spend enough time with your kids, make a different decision today. But start every morning with the desire to have one big life because you are the sum total of all of those components. And stop think, tr- striving for this crazy thing called work-life balance because you know, when you're truly balanced, you're not moving. <laughs> you know, and do you, we, I don't know any woman that's not constantly moving. And so, again, strive for one big life. And the second thing is, you know, truly, we are in a position as women, as the head of our households, we're already making 85% of all personal consumer financial decisions. We have the control already. With that control comes the responsibility for us to understand money, understand how to make it, how to invest it, how to employ it so that we can make a financial foundation for ourselves and future generations. Very wise words. I agree 100% with both of those. So thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to the next time. There we go. So my question for you is, did you see parts of yourself in this conversation? Maybe about not having the self-confidence. And here's the thing. 
you may have in parts of your life amazing amounts of self-confidence. Maybe it's as a parent, a life partner, as a family member, as an executive. There may be parts or as a volunteer, there may be parts of your life where you walk in and you have total confidence. And then there may be parts or like Brene likes to say arenas where you don't have that same self-confidence. The beautiful thing, and I share this always with my clients, is that if you have that skill set in one of the arenas, it's about practicing and moving it over to another arena. And so you have it, and it's just about how can we use it. Now, in the work that I do with my clients, we work on what are the thoughts that are getting in the way? What is your belief system? What's your mindset? And that's why I love having Sharon on because her book and her life's work and then merged with Napoleon Hill is your mindset. What are the thoughts? What's the language? Remember, she talked about that. What's the language that you're using with yourself? And maybe it's a different language that you're using with yourself than you use with other people. Are you presenting yourself in the same manner that what's going on inside your head, inside of you? And check in with that. That's the first thing to work on. We so think it's the actions that we take and, oh, I just have to work harder or I just have to do this. But like as we talked about, even with finding a mentor, if you walk up to a mentor and I don't matter, I don't know, I can't learn, I'm just a something, fill in the blank, how are you going to show up? is the mentor going to be wanting to actually work with you? And or and it could be a business situation or a job that you may want. So the, going into the mindset, we can take this into athletics. If you don't believe that you are going to be able to accomplish something and you go up there and say, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, what kind of results do you think the athlete's going to have? And I, I've tested this out with little kids and it's really quick and fast how it happens. We played, we were playing this game. It's called Rat Rabbit Raccoon. And one of my swimmers, she's older now, but I think she's about nine years old. And it was a new game. And she really likes to be successful. And she has a really good work ethic. And she was losing in this game. It's a very simple game. You jump when it's called out Rat Rabbit Raccoon. And there are different things that you do to enter the water. First one in wins that heat. And she was losing, getting her butt kicked. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I said, just change that. Can you just stop saying I can't and say I can or I'm going to try? And within five minutes, she was doing better. And then within 10 minutes, she won the game. And that's so quick and so simple there, right? There's not that dirty language that I was talking about earlier when I was talking with Sharon. So the language, the power of the mind and removing thoughts that don't serve you, that aren't even true. You know, if if you see an obstacle, how are you reframing that? Are you defining yourself by that? Or are you going, okay, what can I learn from this? And how do I move through it? And you hear this all the time on the show. It's always about how can you move through something? Not how did you get stuck? Or maybe you move around it even, right? If there's a big rock in the road, maybe you're not going to go through the rock, but how do you go around it? Being resourceful, saying, I got this, or I'm resourceful, or this is figure outable. Even right now, I can't see what the benefit of is. And, and it doesn't mean that you're Pollyannish and just talk positive talk. Sometimes I have clients go who I'm trying to just think positive, think positive. I go, it's not just that. Like own that there's an obstacle in the road. Don't try to pretend it's not there, but it's there. It doesn't mean stop. If you want to get to the other side, what are you going to do to get to the other side? 
and looking at from that place. The other thing that we talked about in the interview with Sharon was the questions. And one of the ways I like to frame it with my clients is to ask great questions. Because a question we can ask is, oh, why me? Why did this happen to me? And then that can lead to that victimhood that Sharon was referring to. And instead, if we can say, what can I learn from this, right? Or how do I want to get the result? How can I get the result that I want? And be more in that, like as we talk about a lot, Carol Dweck growth mindset. That because that helps us get through that those obstacles. And then I want to talk about success a little bit because I love Sharon's de- definition of success. It means that how she feels about herself when she looks up in the morning. Some of us may have, you know, uh, a negative mindset to what success is like. It's like, oh, if I'm successful, then I have to be all powerful or that B word. And if you remember the conversation I had with Michelle Woodward about the word power and what does that mean? And so we can sometimes make these words of success. What does success mean? What is your definition of success? Sharon shared her definition of success. What is yours? You know, and I think my definition of a success is that I'm willing to try and trust me. I'm not, I I would prefer some ways not to because it's not easy. I would, you know, there's the lie of, oh, it's easy not to try and just, just sit around, but then you're filled with regret. So I'm willing to try. How can I live without regrets? Where I'm willing to go all in and do it. And it's going to scare me. And I know that, but I'm willing to go all in and do it. And living without regrets is kind of like the message that's been going on in my mind this year is like, live without regrets. What am I doing? Am I in line with what I want to do? And I'm willing to put myself out there. So what does success mean for you? That's really important question to ask yourself. We also talked about, I love it, that she brought up work-life balance. The whole reason I started this show back in the fall of 2006 was I was really struggling with work-life balance. Like, why couldn't I get it right? I'm a hard worker. I'll do what it takes. I'll sacrifice myself. I'll sacrifice sleep. All the things that basically Sharon said not to do today, I was willing to do. And I was like, gosh, I just am not cutting this pie in better and I can do it better. And that's why I started the show. And I call it one big lie. Um, she says, instead of work-life balance, call it one big life and start every morning with the desire to have one big life. You know, what is the life that you want to have and get rid of out of, get out of the balance. I loved how she said, look, you don't want to be in balance because then you're going nowhere. And the truth is, is that we always want to learn. We're growing. We're intrinsically wired to evolve and to grow, which is different. Healthy striving is different than hustling for your worthiness, trying to work hard to prove to others that you are worthy. We just, we're, that is our innate nature is to want to learn to grow and to evolve. So I'm so thankful that she brought that point in there because I think that is an important thing because we can get stuck and that can become an obstacle. Oh, I need work-life balance. So therefore I can't be successful. Well, first off, what does success look to you? And second, let go of work-life balance. And then finally, I loved her last takeaway of we are in the position. We It's our responsibility to understand money, to make money, to invest it, to employ, to understand money. Money is not a dirty thing and there's nothing wrong with it, but understand it because it truly can empower our lives and we don't need to be in a place, space of scarcity. And so I love that aspect. I wanted to wrap up with this idea of 
the definition of words. You know, pay attention. I invite you to pay attention to how you define words. And is it the true actual definition or is it something that you're making it mean? Like when I did that conversation with Michelle, the word power, I could make it mean something really bad. People can make money mean something bad. Like, oh, I'm greedy if I want to make money or I'm, I'm too, you know, uh, arrogant if I want to be successful, whatever it is. Right. And that goes back to the criticism that Sharon was talking about, but really thinking about how you define the words and where are they rooted? Are they rooted in scarcity or are they rooted in this compassionate, loving, wholehearted place? So where are you having your garden grow? So that's what I invite you to think about. I want to connect with you. And one of the ways that we can do that is by you signing up for my newsletter. Join the community there at howshereallydoesit.com. And you can sign up for my weekly newsletter to get great resources to create a life you love, plus some insights from me that I only share the emails. And if you want, I right now have a sign up where you can get the Daring Way intro and there's 10 audio clips about the daring way and how you can dare greatly and live with no regrets. So if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll be getting those sent out to you as well. And a special thanks to Sharon for talking about success and overcoming obstacles, because let's face it, we all have obstacles. And finally, if you like what you're hearing, please let me know, head over to iTunes and leave a rating or comment there. It's time to do a shout out to Horsewife on iTunes for, for your review. Thank you so much. And there are directions on the show notes about what to click to write a review. So thanks, you guys. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.